Well, uh, my great uncle was the one who started the Billy Gold. This is Bill Cianis, grand nephew of the original Bill Cianis. Uh, he he came from Greece in the, around like 1915, uh, and he did different jobs. So he got enough money to buy a bar. At that time, the bar was called Lincoln Tavern. And after a few months being open, he heard a noise outside the door. He walked outside and he saw a goat. If you think that sounds kind of random, back then Chicago had a ton of stockyards. The goat just fell off a truck. Classic Chicago. So he decided to keep the goat and rename the place Billy Goat Inn. And his name was Bill Cianis as well, and he took on the nickname Billy Goat. From then on, Bill and his goat were inseparable. So he used to take the goat into the Chicago Stadium across the street for different events. 1945, the Cubs were in the World Series, and he decided to buy two tickets, one for himself and one for the goat. And the ushers had to call Mr. Wrigley, so Mr. Wrigley said, let Billy Goat in, but not the goat, because the goat smells. Well, my uncle got mad. He left the game. He went back to the tavern. He's got it. The ball game is over. And the Cubs... And the final score... ...ended up losing the series. And then he sent a telegram to Mr. Wrigley, says, who smells now? After the incident, Billy Goat, the human, placed a hex on the team. And baseball fans blamed the Cubs' lack of success over the next five decades on this incident. It became one of the most infamous curses in sports history. Because he kept losing, it became the curse of Billy Goat. Despite that, the Billy Goat Tavern became one of the most iconic bars in the city. And in the 1970s, the bar became the preferred hangout for a bunch of comedians that you might have heard of. At that time, Second City was around in Chicago, so Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, uh, John Belushi, they all, you know, did skits there, and they used to come to the place for lunch. And that group noticed the, let's call it, efficient way Bill's dad would operate during the lunch rush. My dad uh, and other cooks would uh, yell out the orders, so when you come in, you form a line, and you yell out the order to the cook. So what do you have? Cheeseburger, next, cheeseburger, next, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. And uh, it sounded like you were getting yelled at, but they were trying to make you move fast. Which of course ended up inspiring one of the most famous Saturday Night Live skits of all time. You want a cheeseburger? Come on, everybody get a cheeseburger. Want a cheeseburger? Come on, cheeseburger. I don't want a cheeseburger. It's too early for a cheeseburger. Too early for a cheeseburger? Look. They didn't have a fryer, and we still don't have a fryer. And these people would ask for fries. Okay, uh, French fries. And say, no fries, chips. No fries, chips. Okay, chips. And it would ask for Coke. And say, uh, no Coke, uh, That's how we always were, and that's how we always been. My dad didn't even know that the skit was going on when it happened. Just uh, reporters told him that, you know, they're making fun of you on TV, right? He's like, no, I don't know what's going on. It's pretty great that that happened. Because of its reputation and surprisingly good cheeseburgers, the Billy Goat Tavern has become something of a tourist destination over the years. But in many ways, it's still just another neighborhood bar. Even though it's a big city, it still has the, the neighborhood feel. We have the Wise Guys Corner where it's like a whole group of people are, are regulars that have been there for forever and they, they have their seat. 
I think there's places like that in Chicago, and that's why people really like restaurants and bars, because they want you to enjoy the place in Chicago in general. In Chicago, the bars and restaurants are inseparable from the culture and soul of the city. Food and booze is a really big deal here. Ask any Chicagoan about their favorite place to grab a cocktail or a hot dog or anything and prepare to have a very long conversation. Perhaps more than any place in America, you can truly experience the city of Chicago by eating and drinking your way through it. So on today's episode, that's exactly what we're going to do. We'll take you around some of the first-class joints in the second city, speak to locals of note about their favorite hidden gems, and at the end of it all, give you a litany of dishes and dive bars to add to your Chicago must-visit list. So grab your bottle of Malort, stuff a few sausage links in your pocket, and act like the Cubs finally broke the curse of the Billy Goat and won the World Series, which they did, of course, in 2016. People were like taking pictures of the goat and congratulating the goat. Never thought we were going to see it, you know, in our lifetime, but it happened. <laughs> I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Explorers Chicago. First up, we have Ashley Ray. She's an Illinois native, writer, comedian, and a person you definitely want to have a drink with. You know, when we can do that sort of thing again. She's going to be playing a round of Chicago bar trivia with me and laying out some of her favorite drinking establishments in the city. She is like a walking encyclopedia of Chicago bars. So let's get right to it. Ashley, what's up? How are you? I am great. I'm so excited to be here. So when I brought up this idea of a trivia game, you said that you've been waiting your entire life for this moment. Yeah, you know, after after college, I moved right back to Chicago. Uh, it's really the city of my 20s. It's like where I figured out who I am. And most of that was figured out in Chicago's many bars. Uh, and I think most people knew me as a pretty uh, avid bar hopper. Well, that's excellent news. And, you know, right off the bat, we can't really talk about bars and drinking without drinking ourselves. I actually have a little bit of Blind Tiger bourbon. It's from Chicago Distilling Company. Very cool female-owned and operated distillery out of Logan Square. Ashley, what are you drinking? Yeah, so, you know, I, I tried to really honor Chicago and do a variation of the, the Chicago handshake, uh, which is a tradition at Chicago bars. Most of them will offer like a $5 PBR and a shot of Jameson. But since I moved to L.A., it's so hard to find cheap alcohol. So I'm doing my Chicago handshake with a hazy Alesmith IPA and a Maker's Mark. So it's, it's a little more refined, like a gentrified Chicago handshake. <laughs> I like your style and I think it's perfect. So I think we should get right into it. Question number one. This uptown Chicago bar opened in 1907 and continues to be one of the best bars in Chicago to catch live jazz and snag some cheap, strong drinks. A, Carol's Pub, B, Green Mill Cocktail Lounge, or C, Ryan Tannehill's Old Timey Tavern. It is B, the Green Mill. Yep. Uh, absolutely wonderful place for jazz. Al Capone hung out at the booth there. Uh, also home to the Paper Machete, one of my favorite places to perform in the city. Oof, okay, that was a softball. 
Is Chicago the type of town where, you know, in one night you can hop around, you can move from spot to spot, neighborhood to neighborhood? Yeah. The beautiful thing is that you can go from Wicker Park to Logan Square to Avondale and in one night go from the hippest hipster bar of your life to a Polish dive bar where no one speaks English and people are just like glaring at you and drinks are $3 somehow. Mm -hmm. So I I think you got to hop around. If you really want the Chicago bar experience, you got to check out all the neighborhoods. I love that. And speaking of the Chicago bar experience, I think that it's a prerequisite. If you go to Chicago, you need to try some Malort. So next question. The Scandinavian-influenced patron liqueur of Chicago has a very distinct taste. Why is its flavor profile so ridiculously potent? A, it's loaded with wormwood. B, each bottle is aged in Norwegian oak barrels for three years prior to bottling. Or C, there is just a little bit of battery acid. In every bottle. Ooh. Just a little bit. Gosh, you know, I, <laughs> Malort and I have a long history. Yeah, one of my last big drinking nights in Chicago, actually, I, I mixed Fernet and Malort, which I don't recommend. Ooh. Drank so much, I got alcohol poisoning and threw up so hard, I got blood vessels in my eyes burst. So, oh God. Malort and I go way back. <laughs> and, you know, I my joke is always that they, they make it with the finest herbs from the Chicago River. Uh, so, so, my <laughs> My inclination is to go with number one, the wormwood. You are 100% correct. Uh, Carl Jepsen, who's credited with the recipe for Jepsen's Malort, he was a big cigar smoker. He could only taste really strong flavors, so that's why he liked the taste of Malort. It's been described as citrus-flavored gasoline, yeah. <laughs> whiskey strained through a linebacker's jock strap, pencil shavings and heartbreak. I describe it as like a grapefruit mixed with rubbing alcohol. <laughs> Why do you think Chicago loves Malort so much? And you really can't find Malort outside of Chicago too, so it's really a uniquely Chicago thing. Yeah, you, you can't find it really kind of anywhere. Some hipster bars in LA and New York will brag about having it, but it is uniquely Chicago and I think it's kind of that Chicago chip on our shoulders. We're so like, we're so tough, we can handle horrible winters and horrible alcohol that's that we know is awful. Like I, everyone, I, I even had that period in my life where I would tell friends, oh, actually, I kind of like the taste of Malort. You just don't get it, <laughs> which is every Chicagoans lie. It's just like how we say we actually love the winters. No one does, but we we like to believe it makes us stronger. So next question. Old Town Ale House features hundreds of paintings all over the wall, many done by current owner Bruce Elliott. He's done renditions of regulars from the bar, notable Chicago residents who frequented the bar like Roger Ebert and Dan Aykroyd, and also some very not safe for work paintings that he calls political satire. In one very notable and noticeable painting on their wall, a prominent politician is featured fully nude on a polar bear rug holding an assault rifle. Who is this politician? A, Vladimir Putin, B, Sarah Palin, or C, Rudolph Giuliani? Ooh, Old Town is one of the areas of Chicago I don't really frequent. Uh, I, I used to work at a, a flywheel over there. So, you know, spin crowd, really like brunch, rich people. So that makes me, that makes me want to lean towards that crowd, Old Town. I'm going to go with B, Sarah Palin. You really pulled that one off. It is B, Sarah oh. Palin. And I could tell that was a complete guess. Yes. Because <laughs> the crowd 
at Old Town Ale House is not the brunch crowd. It's very dark, old guys sitting on a bar stool for hours and hours. It is a lovely place, the kind of place that I love to frequent. Yeah, you know, Chicago has those like really wonderful dive bars in kind of ritzy parts of the city. Like downtown, there's uh, Richard's Pub, which is this bar where you can still smoke cigarettes. They aren't going to stop you. Like it's that old teamsters who are like, we don't care what the city has to say. And it's always in these like ritzy neighborhoods where next door it's like a soul cycle and like a yoga studio. And then you just see these like old men right next door. That's what I love about Chicago. <laughs> in your mind, what makes the drinking culture in Chicago so fun, so welcoming, so unpretentious and just enjoyable? What do they do right that so many cities get wrong? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's the cost of living. It's so cheap in Chicago to drink. Mm-hmm. You can get like a four to five dollar well drink in Chicago and it's great. But I think most people know the most fun bars in Chicago are the ones that are just doing the Chicago handshake, the places where people have really kind of dedicated the time to making a community. That's what people I think really do in Chicago to to keep bar culture alive is they really will honor their neighborhood bar. I love that. I love the neighborhood bar. And by the way, Ashley, you are actually demolishing this questionnaire, I have to say. I I honestly was, I'm afraid. Now I'm like, okay, let's get tough on these questions (laughs) because I know Chicago, baby. You do. Well, okay. Final question. This legendary Lincoln Park Blues Bar opened in 1968, sells ribs in the back, has multiple stages, and shares its name with the diminutive village in Peoria County, Illinois. A. Kingston Mines B. Elbow Room C. Buddy Guys Legends (laughs) Is it Elbow Room? Finally, we got you. Is it Kingston? Kingston Mines. Oh, oh, I should have known. Yes. Kingston Mines, they do wings. I used to go there like back when my friend went to DePaul and we used to eat wings there all the time. So as far as live music goes, everyone thinks Chicago blues. Sure. Uh, Not wrong. But do you have any thoughts about Chicago's music scene overall? What people should expect? And also maybe some things that might shatter people's expectations of what live music in Chicago is like. Yeah. I think obviously jazz, the blues, Chicago, yeah. But I think Chicago's DIY and indie scene, I mean, it's on par with some of my favorite bands, you know, indie bands in Brooklyn. I think if you want to take the time to actually go to like Humble and go to DIY shows, it might be a little harder to find. Like, of course, you can go to venues like the Empty Bottle uh, and you can see kind of the best of the best in Chicago. But you can also go to these tiny DIY venues in basements and you really do have to find them like word of mouth in Facebook groups on Instagram. You know, it's very like message for secret address. Uh, But when you do the work, you find some of the best house shows and this energy that I don't know. It's so uniquely Chicago where it's just like kids selling PBR from a cooler. Somebody's like friend's band is like playing in a corner. Uh, somebody's doing stick and poke tattoos in, a, in another corner. Yeah. And that's just it's very Chicago. And that'll be happening like right next to this huge bar or like a huge event. And it's just all happening in kind of the same neighborhood. All right, Ashley, you are like the Ken Jennings of Chicago bar trivia. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on, and hopefully one day soon we can drink some Malort together in a Chicago bar in real life. Ah, that would be lovely. Gosh. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but while you wait for us to come back, why not learn about some amazing new products and services? Stick around. 
You might recognize Ravi Patel from his film Meet the Patels, or his excellent travel show Pursuit of Happiness, now streaming on HBO Max, or if you follow him on Twitter as a very frustrated Chicago Bears fan, he grew up just outside of the city, and we asked him to tell us a story about Chicago and what it means to him. I'll let him take it away. Uh, my relationship with Chicago started before I was even born. My dad landed in Chicago from India after his dad borrowed money from the entire village just to get him a plane ticket to come to America. And some way, somehow, all the Indians started living near Devon Avenue. Devon Avenue is where, in a lot of ways, the kind of immigration story of Indian America begins. That's where you'd go to get Indian groceries. Any Indian stores, if you wanted to get an Indian movie or some sort of music, it was our little India. That's kind of where Chicago started for me. So what was my most Chicago moment? <laughs> I grew up in Chicago during what I think most people would consider the most Chicago times of Chicago. I was a little kid when Super Bowl XX happened. I was there during the Jordan run in the 90s. You know, Chicago sports is very much, you know, it's like, it's, it's a part of living in Chicago, whether you like sports or not. I was an investment banker after college, a horrible one. I had basically lied my way into getting that job. Coincidentally, the Bears were good this season for the first time in many, many years. And uh, because I'd never made this kind of money before, every weekend I was getting on a plane and going to watch them wherever they were. Then a funny thing happened. I got laid off. They gave me this thing called a severance, which I didn't know existed. You don't have to do this job that you don't want to do, and we're going to pay you for a long time anyway. I couldn't believe it. A couple weeks later, I was on a family vacation. They're like, what are you going to do now? I go, well, look, in a couple weeks, I'm going to get on a plane and go to Chicago because the Bears are making the playoffs for the first time in like a decade, and I'm going to be there. This was like my version of following fish could not have been more amped. My, it was freezing outside. I remember the zipper on my jacket got cold. I went around and applied for credit cards because every time you applied for one, you got a free long sleeve shirt. Of course, the Bears lost that game. And, you know, the Bears had lost. I'm like, let's go party. Let's gamble. That night, I hung out with my very religious cousin, and we went to a riverboat in Gary, and he saw me gamble away my entire severance. And I'll never forget his face. Just the most innocent look of who is this monster. <laughs> and I kept thinking, okay, well, can I lose if I keep doubling down eight times in a row? And I did. I lost eight times in a row betting on black. And that was the end of my trip. 
Then I got on the road and I started traveling west. And that's probably a very Chicago moment because it summarizes for me my relationship with that city, which is constant disappointment in sports and me losing my investment banking severance. If you watch the Jordan documentaries, it's not a gambling problem, it's a competition problem. I have been seeking that kind of competition, that kind of risk, you know, and that's why I do all the things I do today, you know, not just in acting or directing or writing or entrepreneurship. I'm constantly seeking things that are more difficult because I just love that challenge and I love having my back against the wall. Also, I had pizza for breakfast, which is another very Chicago moment. You can hear more of Revy's thoughts on travel and family and life in his excellent show, Pursuit of Happiness, streaming now on HBO Max. In Chicago, hot dogs are sacrosanct. Everyone has their own opinion on who is the real sausage king of Chicago. Byron's hot dogs, Wolfie's, Superdog, Jimmy's, these are all fine options. But if you want a great late night dog with the side of someone hurling expletives in your direction, all in good fun, of course, the Wiener Circle in Lincoln Park should be at the top of your list. Producer Mia Fast called longtime manager Evelyn Morris right from the Wiener Circle kitchen to hear their story. So why don't you just start by telling me your name, where you live, and what you do? Can y'all shut the fuck up? <laughs> I'm sorry. I am so sorry. Just so, just so people are clear that like you're in the kitchen right now, and that's why there might be a little noise. If you're able to just introduce yourself, like, hey, I'm Evelyn. I'm he- I'm here working at Wiener Circle. The reason you might hear some noise is because I'm currently working in the kitchen. I got you. Hey, it's Evelyn. I'm at the fucking Wiener Circle. I'm at work right now. I'm sorry that you hear all this shit in the background, but hey, we're gonna do this interview and enjoy it. How about that one? <laughs> that's perfect. How would you describe the Wiener Circle to somebody who's never been there? I would say it's a very small shack, hot dog stand, great food at night. It's X-rated, okay? It's like that auntie that don't take too much shit. We swear and all that, but it's more in a friendly fashion when you have, when you got a buzz, you know what I'm saying? Why is it Wiener Circle tradition to kind of roast your customers and kind of, you know, give them a hard time? It started way back, okay? When we opened, this used to be the bar area. You're like, what do you want to get hot dog? And they're just not listening and get drunk. It's like, how the fuck do you expect me to do this job? You know? Before you know it, it's like, oh, bitch. And it's like, oh, no, you're a bitch. And, you know, that's how it started. We have a lot of older people. And they were here, and they're like, uh-uh, I don't like that. And the old boss said, okay, and he called the meeting. He said, we can't swear anymore. And a lot of customers are getting offended. It's like, okay. So we did that for three days. The customers were like, what the fuck? Do you think I'm here for the food? I want you to talk shit. And then every since then, it, it never stopped. After eight o'clock, nine o'clock, when the family stopped coming in with the children, you all can say and do whatever the hell you want. What is a Chicago-style hot dog? 
It was for when people didn't have a lot of money, okay? And therefore, you can get a hot dog with all these condiments on it and feel like you got to do a complete meal, you know? And the Chicago dog is definitely consists of mustard, a sweet relish, onion, pickled tomatoes, celery, salt, and hot peppers on the side. No freaking ketchup, okay? Wait, why no ketchup? That's the New York shit, girl. I'm afraid to say that ketchup is actually my favorite condiment to put on. Well, you need to grow the fuck up then, okay? After 11, no more ketchup, baby girl. <laughs> you will be surprised. We have people coming from Tennessee asking us if we put coleslaw on our hot dog. Who the fuck put coleslaw on a hot dog? They come in and like, that's the best fucking hot dog I ever had. And I mean, I'm talking 50, 60-year-old people. Have you ever had a New York-style hot dog before? You got a dirty fucking water dog. They are waterlogged and they're nasty. You come to Chicago and get a wing circle hot dog, you're gonna taste some real beef along with all those great condiments, sweetheart. The steamed hot dog bun with poppy seeds, definitely a must. What happens when uh, people come into Wiener Circle and they ask for a $20 milkshake? You don't ask for a $20 shake, you ask for a chocolate shake. They started that probably about 15 years ago. There was a girl here that, you know, she just always pulling her tits up at the customers and they're getting all excited. Next thing you know, she stocked all of them a chocolate shake. How much? And it's like $20, motherfucker, and they just pour it to her. So she, that, she started it. Yeah, I love the waiting circle. I'm telling you, when I started, girl, the boss made me work here. I used to drop my sister off, and he's like, I heard your job when I was there. I'm like, yeah, don't you want to work here? No. Okay, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? But he ended up getting me in. Never thought I would be here for 31 years. I ain't fucking want to work here, okay? Can I swear in this? <laughs> Absolutely. As you'll immediately learn from his accent, Jeff Morrow is from Chicago. You probably know him from the Food Network, where he co-hosts The Kitchen and holds the royal title of Sandwich King. He and his absolutely delightful sister, Emily, have their own podcast, Come On Over. And right now, they're going to talk about their favorite Chicago foods and where you can find them in the form of a giant Chicago-centric Italian Sunday supper. So, goderi, which I think means enjoy in Italian, but I'm not sure. <clears throat> All right. We'll take it from the top here. Or do you want to... Well, no, United, we're introducing ourselves. Yeah, we are. Hello, everybody. This is Jeff Morrow broadcasting from my basement in Chicagoland, Illinois. And I'm here, as always, with my co-host, producer, editor, Emily Morrow. Hi, my name is Emily Morrow. I'm Jeff's sister. Ugh. Ugh. Guys, we are here to talk about native foods from our hometown, Chicago, Illinois. But we're going to reach out beyond Deep Dish for all you listeners and give you stuff that's not only authentic to us in the neighborhoods we grew up in, but also accessible to anybody just coming to Chicago out of the blue. Mm -hmm. And we are calling this the Morrow Family Last Supper. All right, so obviously you got to start each meal with an amuse-bouche. 
We're gonna start deep in our neighborhood here. Gene and Jews. On the way to the airport. Or on the way home from the airport. Exactly, which we usually did when our dad would pick us up. Exactly, and you'd stop there. There's nowhere to eat except a little stand. It's Depression-era hot dogs, natural casing, 10 to 1, Vienna beef, Frank, mustard, onions, relish, sport peppers, hand-cut fries, all wrapped together so some of the fries stay in the bun of the dog and you eat it all together. No ketchup. Don't ask for it. And then the pro move is the Morrow move my dad invented, which was keep a mustard towel in your trunk because there's nowhere to eat. You got to eat on the trunk of your car closed because it's caustic, the mustard they use. It'll eat through a car paint. Anyway, on to appetizers. Tuscany. Tuscany. Fried calamari. Done. We've been eating there since we were kids. They do the best fried calamari. It has not changed in 20 years. I remember it as a young girl just soaking the lemon on top. Let's move on to the salad course. We need some vegetables. We need some vegetables, and that's in the form of a garbage salad from Gene and Giorgetti. Gene and Giorgetti. It is a classic, deep-cut Chicago steakhouse, but their garbage salad has everything in it. Shrimp and chicken and, and bacon and gorgonzola and all this stuff, and you can eat it with a spoon. And I love all salads you can eat with a spoon. With a spoon? Because it's chopped. Oh. Okay, let's go on to the pasta course. Monteverde. Monteverde. The cacio e pepe. It was so creamy. It was perfectly al dente, perfectly seasoned. Cannot recommend it enough. Go there. No matter what you order, get a side of cacio e pepe. Yeah. Put a get, get for the table. Everybody have a bite. And if you eat it all, you do, you do that. Yeah, whatever. No one's going to, you know, be mad at you. The next obvious course comes the burger course. Duh. My favorite is from Minimot. Minimot. It is a smaller burger, but it does have two patties, American cheese, aioli, sweet potato frizzles. It's perfectly proportioned, and when you're done with it, you don't want to die. Let's move on to the meat course. So, you need a ribeye. Our favorite is the WR Chicago Cut at Gibson's. Gibson's Italia. I know we mentioned it again, but we... It doesn't matter. I'm not going to lie to you guys. You get a filet. My favorite filet is from Bavette's. Bavette's. Give yourself a good month to get a reservation in there, but that filet is perfect. Good luck. And then you get like a New York strip, and then maybe you get a nice little Wagyu or something if they offer it. Something fun. Something for the kids. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, because kids love Wagyu. But yes, yes, they do. All right. Guess what? Not by the ocean, but we do love fish here. We do love fish, especially when it's fried. So my favorite place uh, currently is called the Shrimp Spot. Shrimp Spot. It opened up about two months before the pandemic. And I am telling you, Emily, we had it for lunch. I know. Hot. 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 Oh, now it's pizza. We do have to talk about pizza. Our favorite thin crust, and that's something we eat weekly here. It's called Jimmy's Place. Jimmy's Place. They use the best mozzarella from Grande, which is an Italian cheese manufacturer that makes the best pizza mozzarella based out of Wisconsin. They have house-made big chunks of Italian sausage, not the shave shit you get in the pizza joints. Well, let's have some dessert, Emily. Of course. Oh. Ooh. What's your pick? I love Margie's candies. Margie's candies. Nothing fancy. You want your turtle sundae. You want your chocolate soda. You want your, you know, banana split. Margie's candies is where to go. Let's let's talk about a way home dessert, of Emily, course. which is a, a popular Morrow tradition, if you will. Like when you're done with the mirror, like, hey, let's get a little something to split on the way home, you know, just to settle the tummy. Portillo's. Portillo's. 
Oops. They literally take a full milkshake and then they throw their excellent chocolate cake and they blend it all up. At first, you're like, what's wrong with my cake consumption my whole 42 years of my life? I haven't been drinking my cake. Yeah, exactly. And now it's time to have a nightcap, right? Drinks afterward. I know, we deserve it. My choice for drinks after would be Donnie G's. Donnie G's. Good food, but you go for the entertainment. Mainly Donnie G himself, who is a crooner, not only the owner and the manager and the general manager, and sometimes a busboy, sometimes a server. Know. Who knows? He's probably making piccata and marsala in the back as well. But this guy's got a voice like butter, and he works the room, and it's a tiny joint, and he'll sing you, you know, the summer wind. How you doing? Came blowing in. And it makes you feel like you're part of something that, like, our parents had available to them. There was a guy sounded exactly like the buble. You close your eyes, he's there. You smell the Vesuvio in the air. He was slightly tinier. I think we have completed our Morrow family final supper. I hope you guys have learned something. We had fun. Please listen to Come On Over. Go to comeonover.com. This was rated the seventh best podcast by my UPS driver. Oh, wow. So shout out to you, Rick. Okay, so we've almost reached the end of our episode today. We just have one last thing to do. Hey, Keller. (laughs) Glad to be here. This is Thrillist Executive Travel Editor Keller Powell. We also live together. (laughs) But we're going to be wrapping up this episode with some cold, hard, serviceable content. Oh, here comes our food. Really? Hello. Great. We'll be right there. Okay. Pause for takeout. All right, so like I mentioned before, we got that food delivered. Keller Powell, our executive travel editor, and I are going to be laying out some picks that we missed or couldn't fit into the rest of the show. Until now. Well, we stayed at uh, the Roby in Wicker Park. Love the Roby. Uh, but for Airbnbs, for neighborhoods, or just getting another hotel, uh, something in Bucktown, Wicker Park, Logan Square, those are fun neighborhoods, and... They're all on the blue line. Right. So it's easy to get there from the airport and easy to get downtown. All right, switching to food, something that I don't think you tried, but I've gone there when I've been to Chicago, is a hiburrito. It is Puerto Rican sandwich. It uses fried plantains instead of bread. It has spicy mayo on it, lettuce and cheese, and I think usually steak, but, you know, you can put whatever you want on it. It is delicious. Why didn't we do that? Uh, I don't know. I think we ran out of time, but... It's cool because it's one of those things that you really can only find in Chicago. Except Puerto Rico, uh, presumably. No, no actually, it just it's not. Somebody, uh, a Puerto Rican immigrant, came up with the recipe in Chicago. Gotcha. There's a place called La Bamba. Uh, it's a great place to grab one. All right, we didn't talk about any deep dish on this episode because we were focusing on stuff that's a little less obvious, but we went to Pequod's. We did. The wait was long. It's popular for a reason. It's really standard. Chicago deep dish. It has that caramelized crust on the edge of a pan. They give you a big cast iron pan. The bar next door, great place to wait. That's true. If you're waiting in line for Pequod's, there is a bar next door that almost no one was in. I think half of the people in there were just like reading novels. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those bars. Yeah. And good segue, because of bars, I think we need to mention Carol's Pub. 
Remember going there? <gasps> that was so fun. Yes, it's very Texas, divey, line dancing. It's in Uptown. You know what's funny? We were shopping around in a neighborhood earlier that day, and we went to a jewelry store, and I, like, chatted up the girl behind the counter, and then we ran into her at Carol's Pub later that night. Yes. And she was like, are you not from here? Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> she was very impressed that I was there as a tourist. It's a little out of the way, sure, but um, it's cool. They had a they had a country band there. People were line dancing. They sold really good Chicago-style hot dogs in the back, too. Yes. Delicious. Uh, Violet Hour in Wicker Park is like Chicago's most esteemed, kind of pretentious, really theatrical cocktail bar. Award-winning cocktail bar. <laughs> Wait, is that? Yeah, I think you your hair caught on fire there. That's is, the place. Yeah, it's lots of candles, very dark. Um, God, that's embarrassing. Yeah, and also no one saw it, but everybody smelled it. Well, it's really dark in there, but... Hence the candles. <laughs> uh, the Owl in Logan Square. Um, Ashley, the comedian we talked about bars with, mentioned it, and she called it the quintessential Chicago Coke bar. Wow. Do you remember going there? That place was great. Yeah, it was very dark, divey. I think they usually have um, like a DJ in the back. Has sculptures and kind of a water fountain that smells a little like chlorine. It was also next door to something else that we were stopping by, or am I making that up? I mean, everything's next door to something else. Oh, yeah. There's music there too, right? There's music there. It's open really late. Uh, pretty fun. Definitely not for everyone, I would say. Good sign, I remember. Good sign. Glowing eyes, the Owl House. Yes. For the Instagram. And if you want to do something non-eating and drinking related, the river cruises are actually pretty fun. We had so much fun on the river cruise. Yes, the architecture tours. An insider tip, maybe don't go in the middle of July when it's really hot and then you get really thirsty and then you end up getting a lot of drinks and then you get into a fight with your significant other. Mm. And then you go to Pequot later and it's the whole thing. It was the whole thing. (laughs) I blame the heat. All right, that's it from us this week. But hey, listen, if you have any gripes, stories, recommendation, praise, or corrections, call our podcast hotline 1-833-POD-BABY and leave us a message. And yes, we're totally serious and we would love to hear from you. Again, that's 1-833-POD-BABY. Call us and tell us whatever you want. We'll actually listen and we might play some of your messages too. This episode was produced by me, Jake Rasmussen, and Mia Fask, edited by Jake Rasmussen. Special thanks to Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Brett Kushner, Emily Feld, from iHeartRadio, Mangesh Hadakudor, and Dan Byrne, who mixed this episode and has definitely been to the Billy Goat Tavern. He has a shirt. I've seen him wear it. And since you've made it to the very end, I'll leave you with a fun fact. The zipper was invented in Chicago in the 1850s, so every time you put on your pants from now on, think about Chicago and this podcast. Okay, bye.